This is section 94 of Mark Twain. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mark Twain, a Biography, Volume 1, Part 2, 1866-1875. Chapter 94. Beginning Tom Sawyer. The Clemens household went to Quarry Farm in April, leaving the new house once more in the hands of the architect and builders. It was costing a vast sum of money, and there was a financial stress upon the land. Mrs. Clemens, always prudent, became a little uneasy at times, though without warrant in those days, for her business statement showed that her holdings were only a little less than a quarter of a million in her own right while her husband's books and lectures had been highly remunerative and would be more so. They were justified in living in ample, even luxurious comfort, and how free from financial worries they could have lived for the rest of their days. Clemens, realizing his happiness, wrote Dr. Brown, Indeed I am thankful for the wifey and the child, and if there is one individual creature on all this footstool who is more thoroughly and uniformly and unceasingly happy than i am i defy the world to produce him and prove him in my opinion he don't exist i was a mighty rough coarse unpromising subject when livy took charge of me four years ago and i may still be to the rest of the world but not to her she has made a very creditable job of me truly fortune not only smiled but laughed every mail brought great bundles of letters that sang his praises Robert Watt, who has translated his books into Danish, wrote of their wide popularity among his people. Madame Blanc, Teresa Benson, who as early as 1872 had translated The Jumping Frog into French, and published it, with extended comment on the author and his work, in the Revue des Deux Mondes, was said to be preparing a review of The Gilded Age. All the world seemed ready to do him honor. Of course, one must always pay the price, usually a vexatious one. Bores stopped him on the street to repeat ancient and witless stories, invented anecdotes, some of them exasperating ones, went the rounds of the press. Impostors in distant localities personated him, or claimed to be near relatives, and obtained favors, sometimes money, in his name trivial letters seeking benefactions of every kind took the savor from his daily mail letters from literary aspirants were so numerous that he prepared a form letter of reply dear sir or madam experience has not taught me very much still it has taught me that it is not wise to criticize a piece of literature except to an enemy of the person who wrote it then if you praise it that enemy admires you for your honest manliness and if you dispraise it he admires you for your sound judgment yours truly s l c 
even orion now in keokuk on a chicken farm pursued him with manuscripts and proposals of schemes clemens had bought this farm for orion who had counted on large and quick returns but was planning new enterprises before the first eggs were hatched orion clemens was as delightful a character as was ever created in fiction but he must have been a trial now and then to mark twain we may gather something of this from a letter written by the latter to his mother and sister at this period i can't encourage orion nobody can do that conscientiously for the reason that before one's letter has time to reach him he is off on some new wild goose chase would you encourage in literature a man who the older he grows the worse he writes i cannot encourage him to try the ministry because he would change his religion so fast that he would have to keep a traveling agent under wages to go ahead of him to engage pulpits and board for him i cannot conscientiously encourage him to do anything but potter around his little farm and put in his odd hours contriving new and impossible projects at the rate of three hundred and sixty-five a year which is his customary average he says he did well in hannibal now there is a man who ought to be entirely satisfied with the grandeurs emoluments and activities of a hen farm if you ask me to pity orion i can do that i can do it every day and all day long but one can't encourage quicksilver because the instant you put your finger on it it isn't there no i am saying too much he does stick to his literary and legal aspirations and he naturally would elect the very two things which he is wholly and preposterously unfitted for if i ever become able i mean to put orion on a regular pension without revealing the fact that it is a pension he did presently allow the pension a liberal one which continued until neither orion clemens nor his wife had further earthly need of it mark twain for some time had contemplated one of the books that will longest preserve his memory the adventures of tom sawyer the success of roughing it naturally made him cast about for other autobiographical material and he remembered those days along the river front in hannibal his skylarking with tom blankenship the bowen boys john briggs and the rest he had recognized these things as material inviting material it was and now in the cool luxury of quarry farm he set himself to spin the fabric of youth he found summer-time always his best period for literary effort and on a hillside just by the old quarry mrs crane had built for him that spring a study 
a little room of windows somewhat suggestive of a pilot-house overlooking the long sweep of grass and the dreamlike city below vines were planted that in the course of time would cover and embower it there was a tiny fireplace for chilly days to twitchell of his new retreat clemens wrote it is the loveliest study you ever saw it is octagonal with a peaked roof each face filled with a spacious window and it sits perched in complete isolation on the top of an elevation that commands leagues of valley and city and retreating ranges of distant blue hills it is a cozy nest and just room in it for a sofa table and three or four chairs and when the storms sweep down the remote valley and the lightning flashes behind the hills beyond and the rain beats upon the roof over my head imagine the luxury of it he worked steadily there that summer he would go up mornings after breakfast remaining until nearly dinner-time say until five o'clock or after for it was not his habit to eat luncheon other members of the family did not venture near the place and if he was urgently wanted they blew a horn each evening he brought down his day's performance to read to the assembled family he felt the need of audience and approval usually he earned the latter but not always once when for a day he put aside other matters to record a young undertaker's love affair and brought down the result in the evening fairly bubbling with the joy of it he met with a surprise the tale was a ghastly burlesque its humor of the most disheartening unsavory sort no one spoke during the reading nobody laughed the air was thick with disapproval his voice lagged and faltered toward the end when he finished there was heavy silence mrs clemens was the only one who could speak youth let's walk a little she said the undertaker's love story is still among the manuscripts of that period but it is unlikely that it will ever see the light of print this tale bears no relation to the undertaker's story in sketches new and old the tom sawyer tale progressed steadily and satisfactorily clemens wrote dr brown i have been writing fifty pages of manuscript a day on an average for some time now on a book a story and consequently have been so wrapped up in it and dead to everything else that i have fallen mighty short in letter-writing on hot days i spread the study wide open anchor my papers down with brickbats and write in the midst of the hurricane clothed in the same thin linen we make shirts of he encloses some photographs in this letter the group he says represents the vine-clad carriageway in front of the farmhouse on the left is megalopus sitting in the lap of her 
German nursemaid. I am sitting behind them. Mrs. Crane is in the center, Mr. Crane next to her, then Mrs. Clemens and the new baby. Her Irish nurse stands at her back. Then comes the table waitress, a young negro girl, born free. Next to her is Auntie Cord, a fragment of whose history I have just sent to a magazine. She is the cook, was in slavery more than forty years, and the self-satisfied wench, the last of the group, is the little baby's American nursemaid. In the middle distance, my mother-in-law's coachman, up on errand, has taken a position unsolicited to help out the picture. No, that is not true. He was waiting there a minute or two before the photographer came. In the extreme background, under the archway, you glimpse my study. The new baby, Bay, as they came to call her, was another little daughter born in June, a happy, healthy addition to the household. In a letter written to Twitchell, we get a sweet summer picture of this period, particularly of little sunny-haired two-year-old Susie. There is nothing selfish about the Modoc. She is fascinated with the new baby. The Modoc rips and tears around outdoors most of the time, and consequently is as hard as a pine knot and as brown as an indian she is bosom friend to all the chickens ducks turkeys and guinea hens on the place yesterday as she marched along the winding path that leads up the hill through the red clover beds to the summer-house there was a long procession of these fowls stringing contentedly after her, led by a stately rooster who can look over the Modoc's head. The devotion of these vassals has been purchased with daily largesse of Indian meal, and so the Modoc, attended by her bodyguard, moves in state wherever she goes. There were days, mainly Sundays, when he did not work at all. Peaceful days of lying fallow, dreaming in shady places, drowsily watching little Susie, or reading with Mrs. Clemens. Howell's foregone conclusion was running in the Atlantic that year, and they delighted in it. Clemens wrote the author, I should think that this must be the daintiest, truest, most admirable workmanship that was ever put on a story. The creatures of God do not act out their natures more unerringly than yours do. If your genuine stories can die, I wonder by what right old 
Walter Scott's artificialities shall continue to live. At other times he found comfort in the society of Theodore Crane. These two were always fond of each other, and often read together the books in which they were mutually interested. They had portable hammock arrangements, which they placed side by side on the lawn, and read and discussed through summer afternoons. The Mutineers of the Bounty was one of the books they liked best, and there was a story of an Iceland farmer, a human document, that had an unfading interest. Also there were certain articles in old numbers of the Atlantic that they read and reread, Pepe's Diary, Two Years Before the Mast, and a book on the Andes were reliable favorites. Mark Twain read not so many books, but read a few books often. Those named were among the literature he asked for each year of his return to Quarry Farm. Without them, the farm and the summer would not be the same. Then there was Lecky's History of European Morals. There were periods when they read Lecky avidly and discussed it in original and unorthodox ways. Mark Twain found an echo of his own philosophies in Lecky. He made frequent marginal notes along the pages of the world's moral history, notes not always quotable in the family circle. Mainly, however, they were short, crisp interjections of assent or disapproval. In one place Lecky refers to those who have undertaken to prove that all our morality is a product of experience, holding that a desire to obtain happiness and to avoid pain is the only possible motive to action, the reason, and the only reason, why we should perform virtuous actions being that on the whole such a course will bring us the greatest amount of happiness. Clemens has endorsed these philosophies by writing on the margin, sound and true. It was the philosophy which he himself would always hold, though apparently never live by, and in the end would embody a volume of his own, What is Man, privately printed in 1906. In another place, Lecky himself speaking, says, Fortunately, we are all dependent for many of our pleasures on others. Cooperation and organization are essential to our happiness, and these are impossible without some restraint being placed upon our appetites. Laws are made to secure this restraint, and being sustained by rewards and punishments, they make it the interest of the individual to regard that of the community. Correct, comments Clemens. He has proceeded from unreasoned selfishness to reasoned selfishness. All our acts, reasoned and unreasoned, are selfish. It was a conclusion he logically never departed from, not the happiest one, it would seem, at first glance, but one easier to deny than to disprove. On the back of an old envelope Mark Twain set down his literary declarations of this period. I like history, biography, travels, curious facts and strange happenings, and science, and I detest novels poetry, and theology. 
but of course the novels of Howells would be accepted. Lecky was not theology, but the history of it. His taste for poetry would develop later, though it would never become a fixed quantity, as was his devotion to history and science. His interest in these amounted to a passion. End of chapter 94 Beginning Tom Sawyer Read by John Greenman